I have missed you so very much. And I am so excited to be here. Great to be back. There I was sitting at home playing with my Mr. Rogers dress up doll (laughs) that your choir gave me. And I get a text inviting me to come preach here. Uh, I've had to wait six or eight weeks. I have been so excited. I'm so thankful for Pastor Scott inviting me to preach. Thankful for Hank uh, and your team. You've got an incredible staff here, and I'm so thankful for each of them. My family's doing great. I wish they could be here. My, my daughter turned 16 last week, and tonight's her big uh, birthday party, and there's going to be boys there, so I need to make sure I'm back in time for that, for, for sure. You know, I love singing some of the Christmas songs we were singing this morning, and so thankful for Mark and his outstanding leadership. I was watching Jimmy Fallon a while back, and Jimmy Fallon did a bit where, add a word, ruin a Christmas song. And people submitted things like some of these, like uh, 12 Days of Christmas Flu, or the Little Drummer Boy Band, or um, Oh Holy Night Terrors, um, Maury, What Child Is This, um, or my personal favorite, I'll Be Home Incarcerated for Christmas. I uh, don't know, but I am thankful that you all were blessed with some amazing Christmas music last week with your choir and worship team led in a fantastic service. I had a chance this week to go back and watch it online. My favorite part of the, the service was when the drum line came down at the end and you all are singing joy to the world. It was such a wonderful, wonderful moment. Such a great Christmas song to end on. In fact, joy to the world was the most published Christmas song in the 20th century. And it's not Christmas unless you sing joy to the world. Just one small problem. Joy to the world is not about Christmas. I mean, just think about the words. There's no mention of manger or Mary or Joseph or Wise men or star or angels or Bethlehem or Black Friday, all those things are missing from the song. In fact, when Isaac Watts wrote it in 1719, he wrote it based on Psalm chapter 98, which talks about the second coming of Jesus. His, his approach was he would preach a sermon on the Psalms and then he would write a song for their invitation. And that's the song he wrote when he was preaching on Psalm chapter 98. But we link it together with Christmas because of a couple reasons. One, it talks about the joy in Christ's coming. And secondly, we link it to Christmas because the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus are inseparably connected with one another. Born in a manger in Bethlehem, surrounded by shepherds, many missed his first coming. But as your church is reading through the book of Luke, For the month of December, you come to Luke chapter 17 today. And in Luke chapter 17, we have a passage which shares with us instructions on how we can be prepared for the second coming. And so we're going to turn to Luke chapter 17. If you are able and willing, if I would invite you to stand as we read this passage of Scripture as Jesus is sharing with his followers about his future coming. Luke 17 Verse 22 and following. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and the lights and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. 
But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation, just as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They will be eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other one left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where, there, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Father, as we open up your word, I pray you'd speak to our hearts. Help me to be your messenger to communicate your message to your people for your glory's sake. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. In this passage, Jesus starts off by reminding us that his return will be awaited, that his coming will be awaited. He says there in verse 22, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. He's saying that there are days when you're going to long for his return, days when you've tossed and turned all night, days when you're your eyes are sore from crying. Your, your throat is sore from, 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 from yelling. Days when you are just screaming out, begging and waiting on the Lord to return. And it's in those days, Jesus says, when there will be great comfort to know that Jesus is going to return. We long for Jesus' coming. We understand waiting, don't we? I doubt there's a person in this room today not waiting on something. Waiting on a birthday, a baby, Christmas, a cure. My something has turned into some things, plural, as I wait for the Lord's movement. We understand waiting. And in that time, Jesus is telling us in Luke 17, don't give up. I'm coming back, and all you've been through will be worth it on that day. First, his coming will be awaited. And then he shares with us how we can be, what to expect when he comes. And he says here in verses 23 through 25 that his coming will be unmistakable. The day of Jesus' return will be unmistakable. No one's going to ask, is it now? Is it him? Is he really here? You don't have to have this special understanding. You don't have to be able to read this secret code in the Bible and line it up to the sun's angle and the birth of this person, a number of historical days since this historical event. 
to try to figure out if Jesus is back. No, Luke 17 says that this is not how it's going to be. Luke 17 says this, and then they'll say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. He's saying that when Jesus returns, it will be unmistakable. That lightning will appear from one side to the other side as it lights up the sky and everyone will know Jesus is here. His coming will be unmistakable. It says his coming will be worldwide. Jesus describes how some people will be fast asleep in bed while other people will be working out in the field. In some parts of the world it will be night. In other parts of the world it will be day. There will be no place on planet earth where you will miss the coming of Jesus. It will be inescapable. His coming will be unmistakable. His coming will be worldwide. We see here that his coming will be sudden. We're not going to know the exact hour or day that it comes. No chart or diagram will be able to prepare you that this time on this date is when he will arrive. Jesus said it'll be like it was in the days of Noah. People were eating and drinking and marrying, going on about their business. It'll be like it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. People are, are working, they're building, they're thriving in their own minds. But then suddenly it happens. Those of us who are still here may be kissing our spouse that morning or interviewing for a job or driving back from the grocery store or watching late night TV when suddenly in the eastern sky, Jesus appears to return. His coming will be sudden. And we have to live as though it is today because it could be today. It could be before I finish this sermon. It could be before you have your Sunday night worship service. I love this story about a rich landowner in northern part of Italy who owned an estate. In fact, he owned many states all across the world. And he employed a crew to take care of his house so that any time he wanted to return to northern Italy, the house would be ready for him. And the gardener's job was to make sure the grounds always looked nice for the owner's return. A neighbor would see him working and called him one day and said, it's been several years since that guy's been here. Why do you keep working and getting it ready? Is he coming this week? And the guy says, I not expect, I don't know. He may be coming this week. I don't know when he's coming, but I'm expecting it to be today. And we have to live our lives in such a way that we are prepared for the sudden Return of Christ. His coming will be unmistakable. No one will miss it. His coming will be worldwide. His coming will be sudden. And then it says here in verses 34 and 35 that his coming will be divided. He writes, I tell you, in the night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken, the other one left. There will be two women grinding together, one will be taken, and the other one left. This is the painful part of this passage. It says not all of us will go be with Jesus. Unless they all know Jesus, not all of your family, not all of your co-workers. It says here that two are in a bed, that if a husband and wife are asleep together, one may go and one may stay. It's not, you don't go be with Jesus because who you're married to. It says two will be working in a field. You could be at work with a co-worker and you're both doing incredible work to help people. 
But it doesn't matter how good of a worker you are. It doesn't matter how faithful you are to your job. It doesn't matter who you're helping in your job. What matters is not the work you're doing, but the work that Christ has done in that moment. And one worker will go be with Jesus and one will be left. Elsewhere, Jesus describes it as separating the sheep from the goats, as a rancher would do. Just because your wife goes with Jesus doesn't mean you will. Just because your coworker goes with Jesus doesn't mean you will. In the book of Daniel, Daniel is for, gets a vision from the Lord to foreshadow this. He writes this, But at that time, your people, everyone who's found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth, people, people who've died, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. He's saying this, that everyone will come from the grave. Everyone will rise from the grave. But some will go be with Jesus while others, others will face the wrath of their sin. Are you prepared for that day? I've got a friend who was in a situation that caused him to think about that day. My friend's name is Mark, and at a relatively young age, he had a very serious cardiac event. And had it not been for a medical team who was at the same place he was attending a concert, he likely would have died. The problem was his heart was racing so fast they were afraid it would explode. And to solve the problem, they placed a defibrillator into his chest that if his heart ever got to a certain level, that it would kickstart his heart, restart his heart, so that it would drop in the number of beats. And to help him monitor that, they gave him a monitor that he would wear on his wrist so he could always see the number of beats that his heart was beating. Shortly after that, his wife Lisa passed away, and I had the privilege of preaching Lisa's funeral in Tennessee, where they were originally from. After his wife's passing, Mark decided that he wanted some time for himself alone with God. And so he did, went to the place he always loved, the Smoky Mountains. And there in the Smoky Mountains, he was hiking on a trail, had his breakfast that morning, set off for his hike. He was feeling good during lunch, had his lunch. And there he made a decision that he would later regret. He decided to continue hiking instead of turning around to go to the car. As he continued hiking, he hiked outside of his cell phone range up a steep incline, and he was starting to feel winded when he checked his device to see that his heart was beating at 138 beats per minute, which was dangerously high for Mark. So he did what he was supposed to do. He sat down, he took some deep breaths, took some sips of water, but unfortunately his heart rate continued to climb 142 beats, 146 beats. It got to the threshold where Mark knew the defibrillator would kick in and he was preparing himself, bracing himself for that moment. He had heard that when the defibrillator kicks in, it feels like a mule has kicked you in the chest, is what they described it as. But his heart continued to advance 149 beats, 151 beats, 154 beats. At that point, Mark knew that his defibrillator had malfunctioned, his heart continued to climb. The numbers continued to get higher, and he was going to die. And he said, in that moment, I had to face the reality, am I prepared to see Jesus? 
Am I prepared to see Jesus? And he said in that moment he could have confidence because he knew that he had committed his life to Christ. He had submitted to Christ. He had been faithful in his relationship with Jesus. And in that moment he had peace because he knew he was prepared to see Jesus. As he glanced down his device one more time, he saw it flip over from 159 beats, I'm sorry, 158 beats to 159 beats, and then he realized something. The device on his hand was in clock mode, and it was telling him it was 1.59 p.m. <laughs> and his heart rate was actually 76 beats per minute. <laughs> well, that was enough to scare Mark at the time. But he was thankful for the experience because it reminded him that he could be prepared for that day. Here's my question I have for you. If that had been you in the Smoky Mountains on that day and you were afraid you were going to die at any moment, how would you have felt? Would you have had confidence prepared that I'm prepared to see Jesus? Or would you wonder, I'm hope that he'll take me in. I need some time. To be prepared. Folks, I want you to know that you can be prepared. But the Bible says that when Jesus comes, it requires us to have already been prepared. That his coming requires us to be prepared. Let's look at what he says in verses 31 through 33. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. He's saying if you're relaxing on your patio, in those days the the patio would have been the top of the house. If you're relaxing on the patio, enjoying your day, at the moment that Jesus returns, there's not time for you to go into the house to pick up some possessions. If you're walking in the field and Jesus returns, there's no time to run home and grab your family and say, it's time. He's saying we have to be prepared in the moment. As a student, I was convinced that I had the meanest bus driver in the world. Miss Harley had a very strict policy that you must be ready and waiting at the mailbox when she pulled up, when she stopped. In fact, she didn't really stop. She just kind of slowed down long enough for you to jump on the school bus. And if you were walking to the mailbox... And you were not there when she was ready, she would leave. You would be left behind. And heaven forbid if you told her, Miss Harley, I left my lunch in the house. Can I run in and get it? You were just not going to eat lunch that day because she was not going to wait. She taught us you had to be prepared and waiting for her to arrive at the bus stop. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying that we have to be prepared for his coming. Because the moment he appears is too late to proclaim him as Lord. The moment he appears, it's too late to say, Lord, I want to get right with you. He says we have to be ready before his coming. You can't be a person who says, I'll make peace with God later. I've got time. Whenever he returns, at that point, I'll become a believer. Folks, there's no time. In that moment, there's no time to run back to the house and get ready because he is here. Every single person, not just the person in front of you or the person beside you, I'm talking about you. Every single person will be resurrected to stand before the judgment of God. And on that day, you'll stand alone. And I want you to be prepared for that day. For the unprepared, his coming will be catastrophic. 
If you're unprepared, his coming will be catastrophic. The Bible says every single person in this room will see Jesus face to face. The only question is, will you be met with grace or will you be met with judgment? If you're not prepared and ready for that day, you will face the judgment that lasts for eternity. But if you're prepared, if your name's listed in the book of life, for the prepared, his coming will be glorious. It's going to be the day Jesus returns. In the eastern sky, he will appear like a, like a flash of lightning across the sky. And everywhere on earth will see that Jesus has returned for his people. And in that moment, a glorious day, we will be reunited with him in the air. First Thessalonians 4 says, in a twinkling of an eye, we will be caught up together with him in the air. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Aren't those encouraging words? For the prepared, his coming will be glorious. And some of you are here today and you're wondering, I wonder what's going to happen to me when Jesus returns. I wonder where I'm going. You've probably heard the story about the famed scientist Albert Einstein who was on a train trip. He's sitting in his seat and the conductor's walking down the center aisle, punching the tickets of the passengers he comes to Dr. Einstein, and Einstein's looking for his ticket. He's checking his coat pockets, and he cannot find it. The conductor says, that's okay. I'll go to the end of the train, and I'll be back. Well, a few minutes later, he returns, and here's Einstein opening up his briefcase, digging through his, his papers in his briefcase, looking for the ticket, and he cannot find it. He then gets on the floor of the train car and begins looking for his ticket, in which the conductor sees he's obviously in distress, tells the famed doctor, Dr. Einstein, we all know who you are. It's okay. You don't need to find your ticket. To which the doctor replied, sir, I also know who I am, but what I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I want you to know this morning, you can know where you're going. You can leave this place with confidence that you know on that day you'll be going home with Jesus. Don't leave this place today with a question in your mind, what will happen to me when Jesus returns? In fact, 1 John chapter 4 says this, that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. And I want you today, I love you so much, I want you to walk out of here with confidence knowing that you will be with Jesus, that you can be prepared to be with Jesus. But you've got to be prepared. And the only way you can be prepared to, to see Jesus is to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You've been in a room like this. You're a lot of smart people. You've prepared for your eventual de departure in many areas of your life. I'm sure many of you are, are very wise and you've got life insurance in place and perhaps you have a will in place and perhaps you've already planned out a funeral service. Like you're prepared you know that one day you're going to die and financially and legally you're prepared for that. But what possesses you, sir? What possesses you, madam? To be prepared for time but not prepared for eternity. To be prepared financially but not be prepared spiritually. The greater preparation... Is being our hearts prepared for the coming day of 
the Lord. It's a call to faithful readiness and an urgent call that Jesus is returning and we want to be prepared. How can you be prepared for Jesus' return? Well, to be prepared for the second coming, you have to recognize the first coming. You remember the first coming. So many people missed it. So many people missed it. Luke, earlier in his gospel, 15 chapters earlier, in Luke chapter 2, he writes these words, And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This week, if you've not already done so, you're going to be wrapping a lot of Christmas gifts. Isn't it encouraging that God wrapped his Christmas gift for us? I was in Israel about a year and a half or two years ago. And when we were visiting Bethlehem, the guide shared with me something that really illuminated Christmas for me. It made a lot of sense. In Jerusalem, they were sacrificing lambs for the sins of the people, as the Old Testament prescribed, and especially on Passover. One Jewish historian said that on the day of Passover, there would be about 250,000 lambs sacrificed as people would have their Passover meal. Well, for the lamb to qualify as a sacrifice for the sins of the people, it had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect, a spotless lamb. Well, how do you judge the spotless lamb. Well, what the Jewish people did is they, Jerusalem was too busy, so they chose to raise their lambs in nearby Bethlehem. And they assigned some priests, some Levitical shepherds, they were called, to care for the lambs in the fields in Bethlehem. And when a lamb was born, the Levitical shepherd would come, and when the lamb um, gave birth to the, when the lamb, when the sheep gave birth to the lamb, they would inspect the lamb. Is there spot? Is there blemish? And if the lamb was perfect, if the lamb was worthy to be sacrificed for the sins of the people, they would take some cloths and they'd wrap the lamb in it to protect the lamb and set it apart signifying this lamb is a perfect lamb that will be sacrificed for the people. And so when the angels appeared to the shepherds, They understood exactly what they were saying. That in Bethlehem, you're going to find this time not a a lamb, not the animal of the lamb, but you're going to find the lamb of God. You're going to find a baby wrapped in those same cloths that you would wrap the lambs in. The same cloths that would, would wrap the perfect lambs are now wrapped around a baby because the perfect lamb who's come to take away the sin of the world has been born. And to accept that lamb, to be prepared for his second coming, we have to open the gift to accept him. The gospel says this, simply that God is the creator of the world. He is holy and perfect. He created man in his image. In the image of God, he created us. Male and female, he created us. He loves you so much. But because of our sinfulness, we are separated from God. And the reason God sent his son Jesus on Christmas was so that he would come and pay the price for our sin. This perfect sacrificial lamb born and wrapped and set apart 
And the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross and we all have to give a response. And if we choose to accept him as Lord and Savior, say, Lord, I repent of my sin. I make you my Lord. I make you my boss. I make you put, I put you on the throne. I, I ask you forgiveness of my sin, Lord. If I choose to follow you, then on that day, you'll go to be with him. So many people miss this first coming. And you read the Gospels and you wonder, how do they miss it? I mean, there's a star in the sky. How do they miss it? There's angels in the field. How are they not ready for his return? But let's not be so critical. Because maybe some of us are not quite ready for his return either. I love you so much that I want you to know, let's be ready. I don't want you to leave here today without being ready. It's a poem I love that says these words. There's a man in yonder glory I've loved for many years. He has cleared my guilty conscience and banished all my fears. He's coming in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And no time will be allotted for you to utter one goodbye. No time to kiss the husband or embrace your loving wife. If they are but united in the bonds of holy life. Are you ready, Christian, ready for shout and trumpet and voice? Will his coming make you tremble or will it cause you to rejoice? Does his coming make you tremble or does it cause you to rejoice? As Isaac Watts wrote, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let's be prepared for the coming of Jesus. And if you're not yet ready, we're going to have a song of invitation. I want you to come forward. We'll have ministers and and counselors here ready to share with you how you can leave this place today with confidence on the day of his return. Let's stand as we pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love for us. I thank you for King Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the grave. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son. Not just once, but you're going to send your son a second time. One, to be with us. And a second time so we can be with him. And Lord, we long for that day. We long for the day of his return. And Lord, I pray you would help prepare our hearts, prepare the hearts of our neighbors, prepare the hearts of our family, our children, our parents, our siblings. So on that day, we're not scrambling. But on that day, we rejoice. As heaven and earth rejoices. Speak to our hearts now for your glory's sake. Amen.